Welcome to episode 74 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Continuing the theme from last week's guest, today, you'll get to meet another friend who is a super connector. There is a lot we can learn from people who understand the value of building their network and have the skills to explain what the steps are to do so successfully. She's accomplished quite a bit in her brief career, and she's just getting started. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is a fellow super connector, serial entrepreneur, and author. Her first business, founded in 2009, is a credit card processing company which spans 38 states. She next launched Network Under 40 in 2011 to help people make valuable social and professional connections that lead to friendships and business. This endeavor is now hosting sold-out events in seven U.S. cities. She also founded Finance Whiz Kids in 2012 to teach elementary age kids the basics of financial literacy through fun and engaging stories. Her kids' book series by the same name caught the attention of the World Economic Forum, and she was invited to their annual meeting in Davos to present about youth financial literacy. The through line of everything she does is what she calls net weaving, connecting the dots between one person or business to another. She gets so much joy from helping others get closer to their goals and has learned in turn that what goes around comes around. To inspire others to follow her suit, she founded the social movement, hashtag give it forward, which aims to empower 1 million people to intentionally give to one person in some way every day with no strings attached. Please join me in welcoming Dara Brustein. Thank you. So nice to be here and be with someone of like-mindedness. Thanks for having me. Awesome, Dara. Thank you so much for joining me from your office in Atlanta, Georgia. I just want to jump right in and ask you about leadership. This is a podcast about leadership and networking. I'm always curious, how, how do you define leadership? And well, when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Okay, so I'm about to dive real deep and quasi-biblical here. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting start, but Leadership's been something that I've been thinking about my whole life. And it started as a kid because my dad really ingrained the idea of leadership into mine and my brother's minds. In his perspective, leadership was about being the one at the front of a room that everyone was listening to, whose respect they had, and in a way that would be pretty traditional, like the captain of a team or president of a student body. And I did those things. But it wasn't until actually several years ago when I went on a trip to Israel based on values-based leadership that I was presented with a passage from the Talmud, which is a historic Hebrew text that said, and apologies to all the women, myself included, but this was written in the male perspective all of these years ago. And it basically translates to where there is no man, be the man. And what's fascinating to me about that was that it shifted entirely for me the way that I look at leadership because The obvious interpretation of that is that the leader is the person who takes the spotlight. They take, they fill in a hole or a void where there is room to do so. But the counter interpretation of that is where there is a man, let him or her be the man or woman, meaning it can be equally as powerful and valuable to be a leader who empowers other people 
from the shadows to take the spotlight and take the reins. So that to me now is leadership is to assess which role is critical, where am I needed, and how do I empower in either of those ways? I love that you brought that up. It makes me think about uh, early in my life, actually in college, um, I had this realization. I had been working really hard on some political uh, effort. I think it was around uh, not having a tuition hike, you know, and nobody at first was paying attention. And I was one of, you know, seven people getting the first sort of uh, groups organized. And within a couple of months, we had thousands of people showing up for demonstrations. And at that time, some woman said, hey, aren't you going to the demonstration? And I was like down in my little makeshift office, like working on something else. And I was like, no, I mean, it's okay. Everyone's now paying attention. I got to look at the next thing. Like, I didn't feel the need to show up again because there was now something. I was like, no, there's this other thing that no one's looking at that's coming up. And it's for me, it's always most exciting to like find that void and figure out, am I the right person to fill it and to lend support uh, for that? And as someone who is raised Jewish, I like, it's cool for me to hear that there's like Talmudic roots to this, like this belief system. Um, that's really neat. And what, and I like that you have that flipped interpretation, right? Like if, if, if someone's there, like figure out how to amplify their work and not disrupt it in some way. Because I think some people are like, oh, look. It's so often that someone wants to vie for that spotlight position when in fact, sometimes your skills are better used behind the scenes. Yeah. So you said you first got some... Um, some early sort of encouragement around leadership um, from your family, from your father in a, in a much more traditional sense. And that you did, did you seek out because of him, these like leadership roles, like this specific, like a uh, team captain and, and student body president, or were, did people realize you had the ability to do it and they like sought you out or was it some combination? I think it was a combination where I didn't necessarily go into the world as a child looking to take on these roles because frankly, the thing that always held me back and still to some degree holds me back was my belief that I wasn't capable and wasn't good enough. But I had this message in the back of my mind from my dad that to be successful, you needed to be the leader. And whether or not that was true, that was the mantra he had given me. And so, you know, I joined teams, like I joined the cheerleading squad and I didn't go in thinking I've got to be the captain. I went in being like, I hope I make the team. And then when I made the team, I became the youngest captain ever. And it was because there was a dearth of leadership and they saw that I had something in me that I didn't know that was there, but I was willing to try. And oftentimes that's what's happened where I'm not generally the first to raise my hand to take the position. I'm usually very happy to support and let someone else take it. And then typically I find that I'm asked to be shepherded in because it's still a dearth. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you don't shy away when the opportunity is presented to you either. And that, and probably over time, your own um, skill set and sense of like, I can do this has grown, which makes it a lot easier to say yes time and again. But it also seems like you're also as a founder of several things that I've, I mean, I'm probably even more than this. You've just covered a few things you've done since 2009 that you're also willing to like see things through. Like a lot of people are really good at starting things but not so good at growing them. And it sounds like you're, you've got a, the skill set to do a little bit of both. Um, so, so talk a little bit about that. I mean, that, is that's a form of leadership. Yeah, I love that you're bringing that up because I mentor a lot of college kids. I sit on the board of my university and we'll have interactions with these promising young people. And in same thing with interns in my companies where I'll say to them, if you can take anything away from our conversation, take away 
how valuable follow through is that I think that one of the biggest differentiators in the world of business and just as people to people are people who follow through on the promises that they make big and small. And I have always believed in that. And I think it's been this surprising differentiating factor for me that if I say I will do something, I will do it and I will do it even better than I expected or promised because it's in my DNA. It's something that I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I wouldn't feel good about myself if I told you I do something and I didn't do everything in my power to see it through to the best of my ability. So I I hope that that's empowering to someone listening to this to think, wow, I don't even need these exponential skills. I really just need to be a person of my word and have follow through. Like That truly will set you apart. Yeah, I was just actually talking to someone about this in the mastermind that I run that she stepped up to like manage uh, three different um, like ad hoc groups at her company. And the first two, she got to the point where other people took it over. So, and then she like went on to the next one, the next one. And she's like, this one, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do forever hours, but I'm going to put four years into it, which already was like remarkable for me to hear that she's like, got a, she's got an end game, right? She doesn't think about it forever, but she's also knows it's going to take years to really establish it and grow it to its full potential. And I said, you're, mar- you're really, all this is marketing you as the kind of person that people would want on their team whether in your company or externally, it, pu- it puts you in a small minority, right? Like of people who not only have good ideas, but can bring them to life and lead them through those first early years that those are always the hardest and like get them to a point of being established. I said, having other people take over is actually the best success I think you can have with a good idea is that it's worthwhile and other people can take it over. Um, and you're, you're at that point too. I, I, you know, you've been running now this uh, networking under 40 for a few years now, and it's, it's probably morphed quite a bit in its time. I mean, you started as a very local group and then it's, it be, now it's in seven U S cities. And then even that is like, it's the, the idea that other people saw it and thought, how can I replicate that? Like tell a little bit of that story of like the journey of deciding to do this and then also how you were open to expanding it. Thank you. Yeah. So I started it in 2011 in Atlanta where I'm based simply because I had a friend from undergrad move back to Atlanta and say, where in the world do I go to make friends after college? I'm an attorney and everywhere I go, I feel like everyone is also an attorney. They're my parents' age. They want to hit on me or they want to sell something to me. And she said, I just want peer-to-peer connection. And it, it dawned on me that when you leave college, assuming you went to college or whatever your last schooling is, it's generally the last built-in social structure that you have. And when you get out of school and you're planted in this adulting world, it's a lot harder to build that social connection. And I think you and I agree on this, that it's those social connections that flourish into everything else. There, in my eyes, there's no difference between the professional and the personal. I love that they're beautifully melded. And we live in a time now where it's so apparent because of social media that you don't put on one hat at work and one hat at play and one hat at home it's all the same, or at least it should be. And then you live this synchronistic life as one whole. But so when she said that to me, I thought, well, I don't know where to send you. I don't think that place exists, but I love to connect people. So why don't I start it? So I started an event and basically said, if you are under 40 and you live in Atlanta, come and we're going to make friends and business connections, and we're going to be ourselves. And it's going to be about who you are and not what you do. And let's see what happens. And that snowballed over the years into what it is now, like you said, in seven cities and 30 plus thousand people and 
all of this stuff because we really just hit on this basic human need and desire to feel connected and feel like a part of something. And it wasn't a linear path. There, A, the intention when I started it was not to make it a business. It was simply to help a friend with this need that she had with a skill that I have. And then secondly, it was not something I intended to grow or scale or monetize. It really was something that happened only because the market demanded it. And I saw that we were fulfilling a need and that I got excited about it. So it grew over time. But when I also say it wasn't linear, it's because as it grew, it wasn't always this way. It didn't always just go upwards. It was a lot of, you know, one step forward, two steps back, or two steps forward, one step back. And so much of that had to do with just the natural growing pains of growth. And like you touched on of handing things off and delegating and building out a team. At the end of the day, that's what I've come to learn in growing companies is no matter how good your idea or how great you are, if you want to grow beyond just you, you have to trust in other people and building out an infrastructure is really challenging and good at people. So that's going to be an important piece of it. Yeah, I find it really fascinating because I just closed uh, the fall this year uh, a group called Socializing for Justice that I ran for 11 years. And you and I have talked about this already, but that was a similar model. Like a need was there. It had, you know, everything you just described with a progressive slant. Everyone's welcome, you know, no gatekeeping. Let's all have fun and share, you know, we have shared values. And I chose not to scale it, but I also think I like didn't have it in me to think it through the monetization. And it, like, I, I think it's really cool that you've developed this because I do think there's a need for people to find ways to connect after formal schooling ends. And that need really doesn't go away. And particularly since we're no longer in a job for life, right? So we always have to be meeting people and we got to get outside the silos that we get stuck in within our industries or our like type of job that we have. Um, it's much better to be the only attorney in a room than in a room full of attorneys <laughs> as an attorney, right? Yeah. Like you should be the attorney that like all the real estate people know or something like that rather than like always networking with your peers in your company, like to think about that. And it's, it's hard to think about like where to go. Um, so of the things you're doing, like there's so many things you're working on, like what are you, what are you finding most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Wow. Uh, I think I would say it's teaching and it's because I've been fortunate to grow into a place in my career where I have more flexibility of my time and that wasn't a mistake. I've always been intentional about designing my life around my values and being really clear about what success means for me rather than trying rather than accidentally getting caught up in how other people define that. And so for you know the nine or so years I've been growing my companies, I was very clear about the fact that success for me was freedom of my time and how I spent that. And a lot of that is around where I can be learning and growing and surrounding myself with fascinating, energizing people. So for me now to have more flexibility of how I spend it because I've quote unquote achieved that goal is to be teaching and sharing. And so it's doing things like this and having conversations where people can hopefully learn from my experiences or speaking or writing for Forbes or, you know, doing masterminds or whatever the thing might be, but finding outlets to help pass on some of the knowledge. That's really cool. Um, you know, I think you and I have talked about how hard it is sometimes to find people willing to invest in this sort of amorphous thing called networking, which I think is a, is a, a pain point that a lot of people experience, but not everyone 
is ready to like invest the energy and time and money into improving it. And it's, it's a challenge. And part of the work feels like explaining to people that they actually can change. Have you found that to be true? That like partly people don't know that there is another way and like your writing and your speaking is offer them hope that there is another way. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way, but I think you're right that, you know, whether it's the give it forward and it based at its basic foundation of this idea of giving to someone in some way every day is around building a network. It's going out to the people that you know, or don't yet know, and will soon thereafter and offering to help them in some way. It's this basic foundation of value centric giving in a network in a community that you've designed. So in that way, just in that space, I've heard so many powerful stories of people saying, wow, just shifting my focus from one of transaction and what's in it for me, or the world is such a negative place to, wow, people are generally good. And there's ways that I have value to offer that I didn't even realize I had to give in this world. That in and of itself is game changing for people and shifts their focus and has a ripple effect. And yeah, as networking too, it's exactly that, that when you help people understand that networking is relationships. It's something you're already doing every day. You don't need to make it seem like this overwhelming, scary, intimidating, awkward thing. Uh-huh. Friendships and keeping those alive. But we can all do that. And hopefully that's shifting someone's perspective. Yeah, I talked about that a little bit in my book where I'm like, unless you really are a hermit, you already have the skills you need to talk to people and make friends. Like you've been doing this your whole life. You know, you just didn't call it networking, but you've met random people over random situations. I like really like when I'm in a situation and find the uncommon commonality, like, you know, it could be anything. And it's always great. It's like, oh, instant connection because this thing we both have in common that I didn't realize anyone else in the room would have. And the other thing that you made me just think of is um, I just recently learned who to credit for this, but that idea of like, there's these five minute favors, there's things you can just do for people that take very little time, but can really be helpful. And it could be, you know, recommending a, a productivity tech tool. It could be reviewing a resume. It could be, you know, being a reference for someone or making an introduction or anything that takes like five minutes. And I just learned that Alan Rifkin is the person who really coined that phrase. And I think it became widely known through Adam Grant. So I, I just love that concept of, you know, if you spent an hour doing five minute favors, that would be 12 people that you have touched and added value to. And people think it's so hard to add value. And clearly you have integrated this into your life where it's no longer a thing you're struggling with, but do you have any systems for making sure you're doing it or like keeping track or like, or is it just so just a part of who you are? Yes. The latter it's, it's just a part of conversation. Like if I'm engaging with someone, if I'm connecting with someone it is very natural for me to want to ask, how can I help? How can I be a resource or leading a conversation with what have you been thinking about or what are you working on? And my neurons just firing and thinking, oh, you got to know about this thing or this tool or this resource or this person. And would that be helpful for me to draw those dots together? However, when I'm in stages of leading 30-day giving challenges with Give It Forward, then it's so activated in my mind because I'm leading a charge around it. and. I'm actively thinking not just how do I find it passively in my day, but how do I go out seeking it? And while I do it one way or the other, there is an immense shift when you do it intentionally from when you just let it happen to you passively. Both are valuable, but Mm -hmm. it definitely is a shift. 
that's really interesting. And in some ways, I think by you doing these short bursts, you're exercising that part of your brain. And it's probably stronger even when you're doing it passively, right? Like it just tunes it in a little bit. It's like a little muscle you've worked out a little bit. Well, that's then, neat. Like for anyone who likes games, I always think of it like a puzzle. That if you and I are having a conversation, Robbie, and you're telling me about something you're working on, for me to be listening so deeply rather than thinking about, well, what's going to come next or any of those things that often happen and just think, oh, he said that. Let me ask him if this would be useful. Like, what did I hear under as the subtext? And not only is that deepening our relationship because I'm really paying attention and I'm going deeper with you. But then I can hopefully add value in a way that you didn't necessarily present to me, but I get to let my curiosity lead and see if that would be helpful. I love it. And so few people are actually deeply listening that it makes just doing that makes you stand out. Like not going through the script, but like altering it by just asking a genuine question as a follow-up, I think will set you apart. I, I have a question though about um, what you find challenging. What, what has been a roadblock for you maybe mentally or a skill set. I mean, you're very accomplished, but as you've been building all this up, where where have the challenges been and how have you been overcoming them? Um, My biggest Achilles heel references back to what I started with, which is self-doubt and not believing that I'm good enough or capable and that other people are naturally better and more equipped. And sometimes waiting too long or not doing at all out of the gate because I assume that. Yet when I stop and reflect and think, when has that actually presented itself to be true? I can't think of a time. So some of that has just been my own personal development journey through surrounding myself with people who think and do more and reading and meditating and even trying self-hypnosis and doing a lot of exercises to think, how do I stretch my current vision of myself to grow and expand? And not just from a selfish place, but because I deeply believe that when you are your highest and best self, you can contribute more to the world around you. That's cool. I love that you're making your own, um, I guess, like personal development a priority, partly because you see how it helps other people. And you're you're very driven as a giver to, to accomplish that and do that in the best way possible. And by you doubting yourself and your skills and holding back, then this potential, like uh, I'm a missed opportunity, it sounds like. And that you're like, no, I don't want to keep doing that. I want to, you know, get to the psyche part so that I can actually continue to add more value. Um, I wonder if anyone listening, this is, a, I think, a piece that a lot of people struggle with, this idea of like imposter syndrome or, um, you know, like just, yeah, just feeling like you're not well equipped. But like anything, if, if you make it about you, that's really hard to overcome. But if you make it about what you're able to offer because of the fact that you're taking care of yourself. Um, so you mentioned a few self-care things. I'm, I, you know, that's always something I want to talk to people about because I think particularly as an entrepreneur, you're, the line between work and home is like completely blurred. Um, the word balance doesn't really fit. Maybe it's integration. Um, yeah, she's, she's saying yes to me. I saw that. So I like... But okay, here's my question then, since, since you're, looks like you're more in line with the idea of work-life integration and, you're, and, and living a full and whole life, when do you know that you're off the clock? Like, what evidence do you have that you're not at work? I don't think that's how I look at it, actually. 
And it's interesting because I work from home, but I travel about 60% of the time and it's driven by pleasure. And then I work along the way. And I'm often reminded, especially when I was younger and my living space was one room and I worked in it and slept in it and it felt like a dorm. And I remembered in college how hard that was to have all of the components in your life in one tiny space. So some of it has just been around creating physical spaces that exist for different purposes. So being in a physical office versus like working out of the place that I sleep and keeping those as separate as I can or making boundaries for myself around, you know, on the weekend, trying not to be on my computer much, or if I am just finding one little carved out space and time to do that, or making sure I'm spending my evenings in a way that I feel rejuvenated and refreshed. And even if it's work, so to speak, you know, in general, just making sure I'm spending time with people I actually enjoy so that it doesn't feel like work, because that's really the conclusive statement for me is that while work is work, it still integrates with my personal life so that it doesn't feel so worky. Like I can easily weave between catch-ups with someone and going to yoga and going to a lunch meeting and getting on emails or doing a podcast or a phone call. And none of it feels so deeply like work because I've been fortunate to design my career to be one where the things I hate doing, I outsource or I delegate. Mm-hmm. And things that feel like work I have them at least bookended enough by other things that don't feel as worky, but still might fall under that category. So it all falls into that integration word that you talked about that rather than saying balance where one thing's on the left and one thing's on the right, and you're trying to juggle the two integrations. Okay. I need to get a workout in, but I also want to see my friends. So why don't you come to that class with me? Or, uh, I don't know, I'm on a flight, but I need to get an article written. So I'm going to write it on the plane so I can get to the destination I want to get to, but I'm going to make the most of that time or the self-care of, I need to be by myself. I'm an ambivert. I also need downtime and rest and alone time. Okay. I'm going to carve out time in the morning to meditate. And I'm going to make sure I have a little bit of time before I go to sleep at night to unwind Mm -hmm. and on a weekend, making sure that not every weekend is travel centric and people centric. And that I'm going to like yesterday, I time to just be around the house and clean and organize and read and be with my cat. (laughs) (laughs) Low key. So just, Setting those boundaries has been a really important self-care part for me. Yeah, it sounds like a journey too. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about, I, I feel like people who are decades older than you are still struggling to figure out how to how to weave that existence into reality. And and many, I don't think, would even shoot for it. I mean, like to even believe that it's possible is great to hear for people. And it's like the idea of designing your own life, right? And, and actually being committed to it. Is, there's a certain responsibility for that too, though. Because like when other people dictate how you spend your time, you're absolved of having to like make decisions. But when you're declaring it, um, like I remember one time just, I repeated for like months, oh my God, I have so much going on. I have so much going on. I have so much going on. I kept talking about it. I have so much going on. And it was like this, um, it was like overabundance. <laughs> it was like awesome stuff, but I felt overwhelmed. And someone finally said to me, you are the arbiter of your own existence. And it was like cold water boom, I woke up and I was like, I can't keep, you know, mock complaining slash complaining about being so busy. I had to make decisions about where I wanted to put my time. And I, if I didn't feel good about how I did it, like it really was me, like I was the one doing it. And I, I think that was a good wake up call. And I think everyone who has that moment, it's like you gets the point where they're trying to figure out like how to actually achieve that, in, that integration. Um, 
it sounds like you've done a really that for you, like part of, I guess one of the benefits is like relationship building happens everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the lines maybe aren't as clear as if you had some other profession um, for you. It might be harder for me to integrate because I need to be in a room on a computer for swaths of time, but my priorities might be different and my values might be different if that was the career I had chosen. In which case, I might be able to integrate things that matter to me in a different way. Yeah. So as you meet people, um, which I'm sure you're, you're just nonstop doing like then, you know, in the tens of thousands a year kind of thing. Um, how are you thinking about like nurturing these connections? Like, do you have like a mental model of, you know, concentric circles of your network or like some Venn diagram in your head or like, how do you know, like who to like put more effort and energy into as a follow-up? Do you have a system for that? Is it sort of more gut instinct? Like, how do you, you're, you're a super connector. I mean, partly define what a super connector is and then how, how do you manage all the people that you meet? Okay, so a super connector, in my opinion, is someone who can't help themselves but to go into the world and put the pieces together of the puzzle of people because they see these opportunities and resources and potential collaborations and it's this art and science of feeling someone's energy and understanding you two are going to really hit it off and you should connect. And or here's this obvious synergistic thing that needs to be put together. So yeah, so it's really understanding that it's not just the person who wants to be known as the connector or who wants the credit for it. Because typically, no one's remembering in the process that you were involved. They're, they're Amen not, on that. <laughs> it's not about seeking that. It's just that you have this desire and this insatiable appetite to do that for people. And the art and science part, I think is really important because it's not just, I see need A and need B and together they make something even better, but understanding where the real human connection layer is that I'm not going to introduce you to someone that I don't think you're going to just genuinely like. I think there's no productivity in that. So it's, it's being on both of those levels. And then from the nurturing side of that, my answer is what you suspected, which is that there's both systems and instinct to it. So at certain points in my career, especially early, early on when I was in really specific sales roles, there was maybe more strategy to it where I'd say, like, I remember I worked for a high-end audio video company and I needed my network to be full of architects, interior designers, and high-end home builders. So you better believe I was at all the places that they were and I was constantly out with them and I was very intentional about nurturing those. I had lists and spreadsheets and follow-ups with all of them. And then as my career changed, those are people that are still in my world, but I don't keep up with them as regularly because it's not as obvious and we just didn't have the depth of friendship and relationship. And as my career and life has evolved, I've gotten lucky to be able to keep people close to me that first and foremost, I just enjoy that you and I were talking before we hopped on here about how we're going to stay in touch. And it's not even because we have something that we're working on together or some goal in mind. It's just, we get each other and we're like-minded and it's energizing to talk to people like that. And that's who I want to spend time with. So rather than me just thinking, oh, Robbie's someone I want to stay in touch with, one system that I use that worked really well for me because I use Google Calendar for everything is I do color-coded tasks in my daily reminders on a 30-day rotation called reconnect is the file name. And then within those files, 
I'll have 10 to 15 people with short notes about them that I want to, or with whom I want to stay in touch. And if it's someone like you, Robbie, who I know I want to stay in touch with, and I don't want to have you buried in a list of 10 to 15 people every day, you've got your own file and it's your name and it's on a 30 day rotation. And it's got a depth of notes about things we've talked about and you'll pop up every 30 days. And maybe I'll realize, oh, we just did this podcast. So I don't need to reach out when you pop up and say three days. But maybe in 33 days, when you pop up again, I'll think, oh man, there was this book I read. I should have sent to Robbie or I should buy Robbie's book and I should read that. Or I should have introduced him to this person. Let me do that now. Or whatever the thing is to help keep us top of mind for each other, help us stay in that connection and relationship. That's one really good tool for me. Um, Another is just so basic, but it's just staying in touch, like getting everyone connected on all of my social media platforms. And this one seems so obvious, but it's being active on them and engaging with people and wishing them happy birthday when it pops up and sending them personal notes when something goes on in their life. Like, I don't know when we'll air this, but I have a friend who was at the concert in Vegas with the shooting that happened. And she and her husband are posting about that. And I didn't know she was there were it not for social media. But then of course, I'm following up with her to check in and, you know, send condolences and say how sorry I am, but grateful that she's okay. And I think it's in those moments that we have an opportunity to really get deep with people where you're not just congratulating them on the engagement or the baby or the promotion, but you're touching base when things aren't great or when you don't see them popping up on your social media for a while. And you say, Hey, I'm just wondering how you are. I haven't seen you pop up. Is everything okay? Because often it's those intuitive hits that are right. And the person's thinking, wow, I can't believe that you knew that. And I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful that you reached out. Yeah. Just paying attention to those. Like there's no technology that's going to make up for those intuitive moments too. So blend the two. Yeah. And I think part of it is like trusting that intuition when it comes up and like having enough space and time in, in your life to listen to intuition. Because if we're too busy, we won't take notice because we'll just feel like another to-do list item and it won't get to done. <laughs> but I, I like what you're suggesting about the, um, so it's the Google task list, right? Is that what you just said? It's in Google Calendar. So at the top of yeah. the calendar, you can have recurring or daily tasks that just are at the top of the list. And I treat those as my to-dos. So I'll typically have 20 to 50 of those a day. But these recurring ones are there without fail every month. And they come in and out. Like there's people I deleted yesterday and just put back in my contact list because they were someone that I kept in touch with a long time ago, but we don't have the same connection anymore. And that's okay. Part of maintaining relationships is housekeeping and understanding that there's seasonality to relationships. And this is something I've had to really come to terms with is letting go a little bit and knowing you can't well manage everyone. Like you and I have thousands of connections and that's great for them to live on social media, but more than a few hundred, you're really not going to manage well. There's a general principle of five close 50 secondary and 150 tertiarily. And then everyone outside of that is super loose. So if you think of it that way of how can I go deep with five and be super intentional about who those are, sort of deep, like looser with 50 and then looser still, but in some amount of regular touch with 150, that makes you be really considerate about who those people are. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, uh, John Corcoran is uh, someone that I've interviewed and he's a really savvy, super connector. And he has his 50 uh, conversation list, which is 50 people that he wants to be talking to that year. And he has it up on his wall and he designed his own daily planner and it has a spot in it every day for one person. And so he makes sure he, he reaches out each day to one of those people 
And he's like always able to scan that list to think of that. It helps the intuition a little bit when you have certain names in front of you. So you can like think about, I haven't seen them in a while online and all that stuff you just described. So I, I think that's a really cool system too, of just like <clears throat> being intentional about who you want to be in touch with. Well, and a trick I use is cues. So if I see someone pop up on social media, it makes me think of someone else. Like you said, follow the instincts, send them a note, send them a text, make a phone call. If I'm out in the world and I hear a song that makes me think of someone, or I see something like my aunt loves cows. And I was recently in Amsterdam and there's a cow museum. So I snapped a photo and sent it to her and it started a whole conversation and we hadn't touched base recently. It's finding those moments or when I'm driving, like I live in a driving city and I have Bluetooth. I will think of someone I want to make a call to. If they don't answer, I leave a voicemail. And then I start to think, who's in that circle? And that starts going down this path for me. Okay, person one didn't answer. Let me call person two. Okay, they didn't answer. Now let me go down that path of who I haven't connected with that is in that group and familiarity level. And so just letting those things evolve and unwind for you and using those down moments, whether it's your meetings five minutes late and sending a quick text or having that 30-minute drive and getting on the Bluetooth call use those moments. I have to now like call the fact that you're a millennial who uses the phone. That's remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, as a Gen X who has, you know, grew up using a phone, you know, you'd spend all day with someone in school and go home and call them to talk about how school went. Um, It's amazing how far we've gotten from using the phone. And I joke with people all the time that that device that they carry around actually makes phone calls like voice calls. And like people have forgotten and, and because no one's doing it, it feels really meaningful when you do reach out. Uh, Susan Rowan, who's probably the godmother of super connectors. Uh, she wrote the book, uh, how to work a room. It's like 30 years ago that she that book came out. And she talks though about those being, um, uh, Hey calls. How are you calls? It's like, um, basically she says like make hay while the sun shines calls. That's what she calls them. So how, how are you calls? That she just like, it's very intentional. And I walk about 10, 15 minutes uh, to and from a little play spot with my son. And I think about like in that, in those walks, like who can I give a call out to? And, and it's, it's true that even a text might be all awesome. It separates you than everyone else who's just doing things through messenger and like sending an email. It's like more, more instantaneous. So that's great that you're, you're integrating that. And it's really the, the real takeaway here is do the best you can with the time you have. There are always a couple down moments and figure out how to utilize them to keep your relationships alive. So I, I actually had a different topic that I wanted to kind of integrate into this conversation that we've been, we've been having about networking and relationships and leadership, which is about diversity and how it sort of layers into this. And this is sort of new um, for this podcast, but I'm, I've been thinking about what my next book is going to be about. And I think it's going to be about uh, how to diversify your network because it's a skill set and a lot of people aren't paying attention to it. And, and if you don't have a diverse network, it's sort of a, a challenge and sometimes a, a drawback when you're trying to advance your career or hire the right team, et cetera. So how do you think about diversity at, in relation to that 550 and 150 person like networks that you're, you're keeping an eye on? I think I do it without thinking about it, frankly, because I'm such a curious person that I collect people who we engage and connect and relate, but we don't necessarily have everything in common, specifically where we live, our careers or where we came from. Like recently I finished a book from a friend who grew up in poverty in Haiti, then moved to Crown Heights in Brooklyn, got into a gang, 
was in and out of the system, and now fast forward, works in juvenile justice and criminal justice reform. And he is a close friend. I have another friend who had a 17-year stint in prison after a life sentence for committing murder. And he's one of my closest friends that slept in my guest room, grew up in the hood of Baltimore where I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore. And I met him as an adult. And I met these people because I started putting myself in communities where they attracted people who came from all different backgrounds and thought processes, but they had certain things in common to gather them. Like in this case, people who wanted to make a difference in the world and wanted to come together and learn together. And I think if you find the places where you have discomfort, like even if it's just at the edge of it, and you're willing to push into that and throw yourself into spaces, whether it's one-on-one conversations by asking people in your community, who should I meet that's not like anyone else that I know? Or showing up at these types of events or conferences or communities. Or, you know, reading things and then reaching out to the people who wrote them and saying, this is really touching to me because I don't understand this. This is not in my wheelhouse, but I want to know more. That goes a really long way. So some of it might take intention for people and throwing themselves out of comfort zones, but that's where the growth happens. Those are all fantastic, practical suggestions for people to think about how to take steps in that direction if they they assess their network. Because that's actually, I want to create an assessment to help people think about how diverse their network is in these concentric circles. I've often thought about like, I used to throw really big birthday parties when I had space (laughs) to do so. And I loved it because I would invite everyone from all walks of my life. And that was a really good assessment, I guess, of like who showed up, who I thought to invite and who actually showed up, right? Like, um, so just like thinking about that in different ways, you know, as you're doing business, like who, because if you're not, I feel like you're missing like big chunks of the world because we're we're often really often in rooms no matter who we are we're often in rooms of people who look like us and or like that's where we retreat to so i want to say a couple things to that if i may yeah one is that yes 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 uh an example of that is last year for my birthday i turned 33 and i threw myself a 20 years too late bat mitzvah because i never had one And it was 80 or 90 people. And when I looked around the room and I thought, wow, I've got my parents and people of their age who are my friends. I've got people who are younger, older, every single color, every career, every religion. Like so few of these people were actually even Jewish and like knew how to do any of the stuff we were doing. And that was so fulfilling for me to look at a room like that. So I think that's a great example for people is host dinner parties, have parties, get people together, host happy hours. And make sure that everyone doesn't look, act, and talk like you. Yeah. You can't do that. Ask people to invite people who are different than that. Yeah. Our mantra on this for socializing for socializing for justice was we want you to see someone like yourself and meet someone you never would have. And if we felt like if we were consistently doing that, you would feel comfort enough in the room because you wouldn't be the only but you would also have these opportunities to connect with people that maybe you wouldn't ever have talked to. And it's that shared values piece that you were just talking about, right? If you find the spaces or create, if necessary, the spaces where people can gather around those shared values. So we're coming to the end of this really great conversation, Nara. And I want to ask you, when we meet again a year from now, uh, which we're finally going to meet in person at some point, we're going to have to make this happen. When we're sitting down a year from now and we're talking about what an amazing year it's been, I want to know what accomplishments of yours we will be celebrating. 
It's a fantastic question and one I am comfortable to tell you I don't have an answer to. And the reason I'm comfortable to say that is because as a very goal-oriented person who always strives towards these landmarks and benchmarks, I'm in a really comfortable flow state now where my I think that what we'll celebrate is the evolution and expansion of whatever this next incarnation is for me. And I'm happy to not design it for the first time. All of that I'm designing is the space. So I don't know. <laughs> that We'll see. That's exciting, this flow, flow state that you're in and that you're creating the container for the possibilities and really open to it. Well, I'm excited to see what, what comes of it and I'm excited to, to cheer you on along the way and witness all the work as you do it. Two steps forward, one step back, however it might come. So... Sarah, how can people find you and follow your work? You can find me. My website's probably the easiest and easy to get in touch with through there. It's just myname.com. So it's Dara, D-A-R-R-A-H, Brustein, B-R-U-S-T-E-I-N.com. Fantastic. We will have that in the show notes and other social links as well. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you. So good to be here and so good to talk with you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dara Brustein. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 74. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. If you want to explore working together and learn more about what my clients experienced in a mastermind or in private coaching sessions, or you'd like me to come in and present my signature Art of the Schmooze session to your staff, please send me an email, robbie at robbysamuels.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Dara Brustein, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.